ಸಹನಾವತು ಸಹನೋಭುನಕ್ತು ಸಹ ವೀರ್ಯಂ ಕರವಾವಹೈ ತೇಜಸ್ವಿನಾವಧೀತಮಸ್ತು ಮಾವಿದ್ವಿಷಾವಹೈ ಓಂ ಶಾಂತಿ 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 ಓಂ ಮೇ ದ ಲಾರ್ಡ್ ಪ್ರೊಟೆಕ್ಟಸ್ ಬೋಸ್ ಟೀಚರ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ದ ಟಾಟ್ ಟುಗೆದರ್ ಮೇ ದ ಲಾರ್ಡ್ ಪ್ರೊಟೆಕ್ಟಸ್ ಬೈ ಗಿವಿಂಗ್ ಅಸ್ ದ ರಿಸಲ್ಟ್ಸ್ ಆಫ್ ನಾಲೆಜ್ ಮೇ ವಿ ಅಟೈನ್ ವಿಗರ್ ಟುಗೆದರ್ ಲೆಟ್ ವಾಟ್ ವಿ ಸ್ಟಡಿ ಬಿ ಇಲಿಮಿನೇಟಿಂಗ್ ಮೇ ವಿ ನಾಟ್ ಕ್ಯಾವಿಲ್ ಅಟ್ ಈಚ್ ಅದರ್ ಓಂ ಪೀಸ್ 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 so we were studying the kathu upanishad and the story of yama and nachiketa the little boy uh, nachiketa has gone to uh, the the house of yama uh, and there he waits for three days three nights because the lord of death is not at home and when the yama comes back he feels himself indebted to this little boy because he hasn't been able to take care of his guest um and he offers him three boons to make up for making him wait for uh, three days and nights although inadvertently now the three boons this is a famous story so the three boons um, nachiketa asks for us very interesting to see what he asks for um i can i think i'm at no risk of spoiling the story because it's so old i think everybody knows it so the three boons the first boon was uh, nachiketa asked for uh, his father's peace of mind that i will go back to the world of the living um, when permitted by you my father will recognize me my father will love me all uh, again and my father let my father's mind be at peace let his anger subside so all of that uh, if you take a broad view of it what he is asking for is um, uh, this world to for his affairs to be set straight in this world let things go well in this life that's one boon the second boon he will ask for now the second um, boon is the uh, boon of heaven after death after this world what's the best thing one can conceive of what is the best thing one can aspire towards is heaven so he's going to ask for swarga the heaven and then finally the highest of all the third boon which is of course the point of the entire book the point of the entire story point of the entire text also third boon is about vedanta about moksha spiritual liberation the ultimate destiny of uh, of human life of life itself um, enlightenment freedom whatever you call it so vedanta third third part is vedanta the second part which we are going to go into is the ritualistic portion of the vedas which is known as karma kanda karma kanda literally means the ritualistic portion karma means rituals here karma means action but in this case it means ritualistic action prescribed in the vedas and the first part was um uh, the secular part of his life that uh, things go well in in life so now we are going to go into the second boon is going to ask for how do i go to heaven so already he asked for his father's peace of mind and going back and being loved by his father again and uh, yama promised him that he says exactly as you want it so so it will be now he is going to ask for heaven 
in the next few verses, next few mantras. So in the 12th mantra, which we will read now, we have already done the 11th mantra, I think. The 12th mantra, which we'll read now, he will set his case for heaven. Why does he want this suddenly? What, what happened? Why does he want to go to heaven? And uh, this is after death. And, uh, and then also how and what can Yama do for him? So that will be in the 13th mantra. Mm. Before I jump into it, just a little bit of an introduction. What is going on here? One must remember that this is in the context of the Vedas. So this vast corpus of ancient literature, the bulk of which is concerned with um, various rituals prescribed for getting what you want here now in this life and also ensuring for yourself the best possible life after death. You might say that, how do you know any of that will work after death? In this life, at least we can know if it works or not. I perform this ritual and uh, I want rainfall or I want to conquer my enemies. I want lots of, uh, you know, like a bountiful harvest or my um, children should be healthy and good. I can see whether it worked or not in my life itself. In the months and years ahead, I'll see whether the effect is there, what was promised. So this is called drishtaphala. In Sanskrit, drishtaphala. Drishta means seen, experienced. Seen or experienced where? In this life. We will see whether it, it works or not. Phala is result. Drishtaphala, seen result. But adrishtaphala is also there, unseen result. So the unseen result might be after death, I shall go to heaven. And the heavens also were categorized into multiple layers. Many, many kinds of heavens were there. Many kinds of worlds. So one cosmology, the most popular one, which you, in Vedanta Sar, if you remember, 14 worlds, Chatur Dasha Bhavanani, 14 worlds were talked about. Seven of them are good, um, including this one, the one where we are, better and better. This is the worst of the good ones. It's sort of a very mixed kind of experience. Samsara where we are, the, the Matyaloka, the world of the mortals. But there are uh, other worlds above us, six other worlds, which are finer and finer and better and better. Above and not physically above us, but they are on a different plane of existence. Maybe some other universe or something like that, or virtual worlds, who knows? You'll be uploaded into the cloud uh, after death. But they're all much better than us. And how much better, Nachiketa himself will tell us that I want to go to those worlds. And those worlds, and among them, the best one is called Brahmaloka. The highest one is called Brahmaloka. Another name is Satyaloka. Basically, you know, the heaven which theistic religions talk about, the Vaikuntha of, um, of the Vaishnavas, the Kailasha of the Shaivas, um, the, the uh, Christian heaven, the Muslim Islamic heaven, even some Buddhist heavens are also mentioned. Um, they are what is uh, indicated in the Karmakanda of the Vedas as the Brahmaloka, Satyaloka, the highest one, where you live in the presence of God. And it is a spiritual place. But it's also a place of perfection. All kinds of unhappinesses go away there. So, uh, and below the or below means worse than our present existence. There are hells. Um, so there also there are seven kinds of uh, hells which are awful, and more and more awful as progressively. So um, now, how do you go to these uh, heavens by good karma? 
depending upon your level of good karma and the specific good karma was the vedic rituals prescribed in the karma kanda of the vedas depending upon the amount of good karma you have got in your credit it depends on what kind of heaven you're going to go to how long you're going to stay there and so on the highest heaven is satya loka or brahma loka which uh, he is going to ask for and there the idea is that if you reach there it's a very elevated um, state of being once one reaches there one actually does not uh, come back to this world one does not one does not lose that until the end of creation until the end of this particular universe until the end of this particular srishti so when this universe will die at that time what will happen is all those in um, brahma loka satya loka those who are not enlightened yet even after this millions and millions of years in this amazing place they will uh, merge back into prakriti they will uh, they're all the samskaras the individuality will merge back into prakriti or maya and for an indefinite period they will remain there is actually no time there because time also will disappear space time universe everything will disappear only what will be left saguna brahman um, uh, vishnu uh, narayana in kshira sagara the whole, whole symbology of the sheshanaga thousand hooded serpent and the god taking a nap so that will be the state and that's this is a symbology but just it means it's a like a state of suspended animation no universe is there next universe when it is created all those beings will again be projected back along with all other beings who are there who have been whirling around in samsara in many kinds of worlds these are the best kinds of beings who were in brahma loka but not attain illumination but some in during their stay in brahma loka itself they attain illumination illumination means they realize aham brahmasmi they get moksha and so uh, they will not be reborn anymore for them the cycle is over others will have to come back uh, and below this brahma loka are many other worlds all heavenly worlds but um, they are not of the excellence of the brahma loka all of these are to be attained by uh, vedic rituals couple of points here first of all this is not a very familiar territory for most of us the reason being uh, even if those of who are, who are practicing hindus the kind of rituals and pujas which were used to are um, of later origin the world of vedic ritualism which was the religion that nachiketa um, grew up seeing which he he saw his father doing and all people around doing that world has faded into obsolescence um, the karma kanda of the vedas it's there but now um, it is mostly of academic interest it is chanted and the mantras there are chanted by vedic scholars some of the rituals are still performed but the big ones which we'll talk about now those have faded into obscurity i know there are people who claim we can do those rituals but they can't really it's mostly guest work guest work and um, sort of reconstruction of what people have not done for centuries or millennia even uh, we have replaced them with the modern worship of you know shiva uh, devi uh, vishnu narayana krishna rama the avatar worship and so on uh, that's one point so it's unfamiliar territory even one of the greatest scholars of the karma kanda whom i had met um, he taught us vedanta but he was actually uh, trained in purva mimamsa he um, said to us that i study all this 
but I really wouldn't know how to perform these rituals. Nobody does really. These, some of these rituals, these are the more advanced ones. Nobody has performed them for centuries or even millennia. So it's unfamiliar territory. It's more academic interest now. Um, but again, I must emphasize, not totally of academic interest because all these portions of the Vedas are regularly chanted by thousands and thousands of Vedic um, you know, like practitioners, Brahmins, even today. So that it's done in chanting, but the rituals themselves are, have become obscure. Um, the second thing I wanted to say was that then how do I make it familiar? What is going on here? What is the point of this? And Vedanta will come later, but right now, all this which will be discussed now, what is going on here? Uh, it is nothing very odd or strange. It is actually very uh, something we are all familiar with. It is conventional religion. If you look around in temples, churches, mosques, um, new age spirituality, most of it, all of these, the bulk of it, the people who go to these places who are, uh, who are following some kind of religion, most of it is for getting a good life here. And for those who believe in heaven, for going to heaven afterwards. So this is the, it's not for, and so some, someone might ask, then what could it be for? It is not, most of this conventional religion is not for enlightenment, nirvana, moksha, um, brahmagyana, realization of my nature as the absolute. No, no, no. You are very much in a minority. Those who are gathered here, we see 85 people. So we are all in a uh, very small minority. Majority of religious people, devout people, what do they want when they're religious? They want a good life here and uh, a enlightened life. A nice Enlightened means a nice life, a wise life, ethical life, a fulfilling life here. And um, some maybe something after that, something equally good or better. I'm reminded of, I mentioned earlier that book, The Secret by Rhonda, uh, Rhonda uh, Byrne. Um, so she wrote another book recently, The Ultimate Secret. This neatly shows us the division between Karmakanda and Jnanakanda. So the secret, the general idea there was, it's a very new agey idea, but the in principle, it's the same as Karmakanda. Um, the greatest secret or the ultimate secret Rick the new one is called the ultimate secret I think or greatest secret okay um, and uh, in between but we have to check because in between there were a number of other books in the secret series so many types of secrets but the ultimate one I think so the last one is, is about non-duality about Advaita and she has discovered non-duality. She's written about that. But uh, the point of it was that there is a way of fulfilling our desires. That's what Karmakanda point, uh, is, promises you. That's what conventional religion point, uh, promises you. And that were, that's what the first book in the series, The Secret, promises you. And that's why it was so tremendously attractive. You can see why Karmakanda is so tremendously attractive and why uh, Nachiketa would want to know these things. So it is very attractive. But it is worldly or otherworldly. It's not spiritual. All right, one more point before I go into it. The systems of Hindu philosophy, Nyaya, Vaisheshika, um, Sankhya, Yoga, Purva, Mimamsa, and Vedanta. Now, they are all based on the Vedas. These very Vedas we can talk about. Upanishads and before that, the Karmakanda. 
they form the textual basis of all of these flows. They all accept the Vedas. If they all accept the Vedas, how are they different? They sort of developed in different ways, the, the different specialities. So for example, the Nyaya philosophy, they are all, they all promise moksha. They all promise ultimately, ultimately they are about liberation and moksha, but the Nyaya philosophy um, specialized and developed logic. Um, you know, so uh, the rules of debate, logical analysis, all this was highly developed in the Nyaya philosophy and other systems used it. Vaisheshika philosophy developed a study of the, the universe, the categories, what is real, seven categories of reality, they developed that. The Sankhya philosophy developed this idea of pure consciousness as opposed to nature. The yoga philosophy specialized in developing techniques of meditation and contemplation. Um, the Purva Mimamsa, so Vedanta, Vedanta specializes in, you know, Upanishads, enlightenment, realization, I am Brahman and freedom through the realization. So Vedanta is, is par excellence the Vedic philosophy. It is based entirely on the Upanishads and develops that. However, in between, there is this entire philosophy called Purva Mimamsa, which means the earlier analysis, Purva Mimamsa. The earlier analysis means the analysis of the earlier portion of the Vedas, which is the bulk of the Vedas, which is the karma kanda, the ritualistic portion. So there is a whole system, very complex, a very rich system of orthodox philosophy, Hindu philosophy, based on these rituals. And that is called Purva Mimamsa. So um, these philosophers, they were experts in, they developed the techniques of textual analysis, hermeneutics. So there is a text. There are certain mantras. Now, what do, what do these mean? How are they to be used? In which ritual, which mantras are to be chanted? What is, which mantras are talking about the result of the ritual? Which mantras are talking about the procedure of the ritual? Which mantras are just meant to be chanted during the ritual? All of these things, how do you extract the meaning from these texts? What we today call hermeneutics. That was developed um, to, to great sophistication by these we saw a sample of their work when we were studying Vedanta Sara, how to analyze um, the Mahavakya. All these techniques, we cannot take claim, uh, as in Vedanta, we cannot take, we cannot claim um, the, you know, the glory of having developed this because it's all developed uh, by the Purva Mimamsakas. We are using it under license <laughs> from Purva Mimamsakas. Um, all right. Having said this, so what we are entering now is the territory, not of, not, it's not our territory. It's the territory of the Purva Mimamsakas. Famous Purva Mimamsaka was Kumari Labhatta, Prabhakara. These are all famous Purva Mimamsakas who lived just before, or they were elder contemporaries of Shankaracharya. So, so they sort of developed Purva Mimamsa to its very uh, high level of development. Um, so when you study Indian philosophy, you're introduced to all the uh, systems. So we are going to study Vedanta as monks. Our main field of study is Vedanta because we are Vedantic. Our philosophy is Vedanta, but we were introduced to all these other philosophies. So Nyaya Vaisheshika, we studied the introductory text with some commentaries. Nyaya Vaisheshika, we studied Tarka Sangraha. And then uh, for Sankhya, we studied, studied Sankhya Karika. For uh, yoga philosophy, we studied the Patanjali Yoga Sutra with the commentary of uh, Vyasa. Then uh, Purva Mimamsa, 
we were introduced to Purva Mimamsa by a classical text called Artha Sangraha. We studied that. And for Vedanta, we are introduced by Vedanta Sara, which we did before this. All right. That's the background. So we are entering an area which is not entirely our area. Our area means the area of Vedanta. What is the area of Vedanta? Upanishads. You'll say, but this is the Upanishad. True. But this is the, the complexity of the whole subject. The Upanishads are part of much broader texts, the Vedas. So the Vedic context is always reflected in the Upanishads. Almost every Upanishad, you will find discussion of Vedic rituals. Not much compared to the vast amount of discussion which has gone on before. But some discussion will be there, like this, what's going to start now. Mandukya is very serious, so it gets down to the, the I am Brahman business very fast and ignores all of this. But all other Upanishads, you have to be patient. This kind of discussion of rituals will be there. Uh, certain meditations will be discussed, which may not seem directly relevant to Vedanta. All right. Okay. Let's go into this. Now, what is going to happen? Najiketa is going to talk about heaven, why he wants heaven, what's so great about going to heaven, and then how do I go to heaven? How can the Lord of Death, Yama, help him to go to heaven? Verse number, mantra number 12. Mantra number 12. Swarge loke nabhayam kinchanasti. Natatratvam na jaraya bibheti, ubheti twa ashanaya pipase, shokati go modati svargaloke. In heaven, so this is Nachiketa speaking, in heaven there is no fear, you are not there, and nobody is struck with fear because of old age, having transcended both hunger and thirst and crossed over sorrow, one rejoices in the heavenly world. So it makes a strong case for going to heaven. We are all for it, going to heaven. No, we are not for it. We'll see later why, why not. This just perpetuates samsara. It's a nice kind of samsara. So I mean, Vivekananda says, chains, though of gold, are not less strong to bind. The chains of gold are heaven. This par excellence is heaven. So what is so great about heaven? Swarga loke. Swarga is heaven. Any kind of heaven is called swarga. But here he means, probably, we, we are guessing, the highest heaven, the final heaven. You know. Loka. What is Loka? Loka just means a world. But wherever we can have experiences, where sentient beings have experiences. This is the precise definition of Loka, world. In Sanskrit, Lokyate, Drishyate, Bhujyate. Lokyate means where you, where you see so pretty similar to the English word look, where you see. But see means what? It means experience, not just see. See, hear, smell, taste, touch. You are there. The things and people and other entities are there. You can interact and you can get lots of experiences, pleasurable and painful. That is called a world. It applies very beautifully to our virtual worlds also. In computer science, you are creating virtual worlds. They are also locus, literally. We are using the term, in fact, virtual world. So in this, in this Swarga Loka, what happens? Nabhayam kinchanasti. There is no kind of fear, none at all. There is no fear at all. Why not? Well, first of all, the greatest and greatest of all fears is death. So Najiketa, is, you remember, he's a little boy, so he's pretty cheeky. He already annoyed his father. 
Now he runs the risk of annoying the Lord of Death. He says, Natatratvam, you are not there. So, little boy, you know, so he's not politically correct. He just says whatever comes to his mind. So, it's a good place because you are not there. I'm sure that made Yama very happy. <laughs> you, oh death, you are not there. There is no old age also. So we are born in this life, in this world. Then we, um, we grow and then we come into youth. And then the body starts decaying, middle age, old age, and then death. And there is a period from middle age to old age to death, which is a period of decay actually. Now, in heaven, there's no such thing. What happens exactly? You might ask Wait a minute, how do you know all this? Have you been there? I don't know if I've been there, I have no memory, but the texts speak about it. So it's very much like our virtual worlds. You just appear there because of your past good karma. If you have earned a place in heaven, you appear there. There are no sufferings associated with birth. You appear there and uh, you exist there for a very long time. Lower heavens, thousands and thousands of years, and the highest heaven until the end of the universe. You are there. But there is actually death. This is the thing to be um, careful about. When um, the, the Karmakanda, ritualistic portion of the Vedas, extol heaven as this wonderful place where you are immortal, where you drink the Amrita, the drink of immortality, you are free of death. He says death is not there. All that it means is it's relatively free of death. The commentators make it clear, apekshika, relatively, not like the rest of us who are trapped in samsara in this world and um, lower worlds, we, uh, we uh, die and then the sentient being which we are, we exist in some kind of limbo, some kind of um, world for some time, depending on our past karma, again we are reborn. Najiketa pointed it out to his father. Like ordinary, what's the, what's the lot of most people, most sentient beings? They're born like corn and they die like corn of the fields and they're reborn again like corn. If you, in one of the earlier mantras, he warned his father not to be unethical. If you're unethical, you're cast into the lot of this ordinary process of being whirled around. Many births, many deaths, many rounds of suffering on this wheel of samsara. Here, however, in heaven, um, you, O Lord of Death, you don't make your appearance so often. So as a God in heaven, God with small g, so you'll be a God in heaven with small g. The Sanskrit word is very evocative. Deva. Deva literally comes from the root div, to shine. So these are luminous beings. This is good for them. No, they are us. The best amongst us, good ethical people, they go and live like this as these luminous beings of beings of great grace and power. Um, I think that's where the, the, uh, the Christian concept, Abrahamic concept of uh, angels comes from. Beings of great grace and power and all. So there are such beings. Uh, and there are different gradations. Uh, they are relatively free of death. Because they will continue to exist. At one time, they will die. But that's also sudden. So they appear, you stay there, no sign of old age, no disease, no decay, no 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s. You, they are there for thousands and thousands of years. 
and uh, with uh, I don't know if they get bored or something, but anyway, they, apparently there is no boredom either because they are very happy. And then when your good karma runs out, so they again descend back into the storm of samsara, into being whirled around in samsara again. So that's that's death, that's there, but in in the long run, in the long run. The usual fears are not there. The fear of death is not there. Fear of old age is not there. Bill, who's the oldest among us, he, you know, he's, he often says, old age is not for sissies. Old age, you have to be a really tough person to bear old age. It's not there. So it's a very attractive proposition. No fear of old age either. And our day-to-day -day problems, Ashana ya pipasya. Ashana means hunger. Pipasa means thirst. One overcomes, uh, the, you, one transcends hunger and thirst. That means there is no hunger and thirst. Whatever one wants, hunger and thirst is just a placeholder for everything one could wa want. So no old age, no death. But in the meantime, you're there for thousands of years. What do you do? Whatever you want. All your desires are fulfilled. And there is, in the world, of, in the mortal world, everybody, from the tiniest animals, to us human beings, we are toiling away for food and shelter. And, and in, in the animals, it is most obvious all the time, if you see in the wild, most of the time and energy is spent in searching for food and for keeping themselves safe. So that struggle is overcome. Whatever one wants, not just food and drink, but everything comes. Not only that, there is um, no tiredness, no disease. You may, um, you know, enjoy life there in heaven and you will not get exhausted by it. So all these wonderful things, you have this extraordinary body there, like a Superman or something, which will not get exhausted. So it all sounds very attractive. So one transcends all of that. Not only that, whatever the commentator says, whatever one may desire, you get it instantaneously without effort, something like Amazon Prime. So you have a series of things which are desirable. And uh, you select one, it is delivered to you. It, like magic, it appears, it is given, it is delivered to you. One day delivery. Uh, there also not even one day, one minute, maybe a few seconds, whatever you want. Pretty much like that. Notice how all this may sound like a fable to us modern people, but it's basically we are constructing and reconstructing our world in that image. It's exactly what we are trying to achieve in this world. What we people want, we don't want to suffer from old age. We don't want to suffer from death. We want to prolong our lives as long as we can live. Uh, we don't want to suffer from suffering in, you know, from the minutest of little problems. Uh, I want something. I must have it. Not only I must have it, I must have it now. So look at how we have designed our uh, economic systems, commercial systems, everything, production to keep on satisfying our desires more and more, more variety immediately and so on. You say, but we need money here. That's true. In heaven, you need good karma. So you have a credit. Your credit card is there plugged into the heavenly bank. And whenever you keep on satisfying those desires, you are, you are using up that, that credit, good karma. So you transcend all um, wants, all needs. It's a fine place to be. Shokaratigo, you, you transcend sorrow. So all the, not only all happinesses are there, all the causes of sorrow also are not there. 
So sorrow could be a physical sorrow from, um, you know, inclement weather. Weather is always perfect. It's all climate controlled all the time. Then uh, from physical weaknesses, even perfect health, extraordinary health. Even the finest Olympic athlete will not have such health. You have that all the time. Then, um, uh, see, Adhivautika, Adhidaivika, Adhyatmika. Three kinds of sorrows are not there. So, sorrows caused by other living beings. Everybody is perfect and nice to you. There was a TV serial uh, in television. They called it Good Place. I read about it. Uh, oh, a, a philosophy. They actually contacted philosophers to you know, give inputs to make the TV serial like that. So the idea was, what could heaven be like? So people are nice to you. I mean, other heavenly beings, they're, because they are heavenly beings, they're obviously nice to you. And so everything is perfect. There is no harassment from anybody else. Every, all, all your heavenly neighbors are absolutely wonderful neighbors. Everything is perfect. So you transcend all the causes of sorrow. No financial problems also. All causes of sorrow are transcended. Then... Modate, you enjoy. Uh, won't you get bored? No. Life is one long, long, long party. Modate. Modate is enjoy life there. Where? Where is this wonderful place? Swargaloke, in the heavenly worlds. And there are grades of it. So everything is wonderful. What's the American term? Hunky-dory. Everything is hunky-dory there in heaven. But not entirely so. There are some problems. What problem? Um, there is apparently a prob great problem of jealousy. So the gods are jealous of each other, what we find. Their gods are jealous of each other. And those who dwell in the lower heavens are jealous of those who are in the higher heavens. Uh, I remember we had this novice who was very simple many, many years ago um, when we joined the order. So this novice, young brahmachari, he asked our senior Swamiji once about these heavens. When we are studying these texts, he said, so the highest heavens, um, if you are there, can you go to the, can you visit the lower heavens? Um, the senior Swami said, well, whatever for, why would you want to do that? He said, no, just to show off, you know, just see, I'm so much better than you. I'm better off than you. Uh, and to Scold them in Bengali, he said, just to scold them a little bit, you know, like show off them, show your power. <laughs> it is very simple that way. Um, yes, so that's one problem. They are jealous of each other. They are, even though they are in other worlds, they're still very worldly people, these beings. And uh, if you look at the mythology, they're always being attacked by demons. So that's another problem. You have a demon infestation problem. You have to call pest control and to take care of the demons. That's one problem there. What else? And it all comes to an end. It all comes to an end. Every, none, all of it is entirely limited. And most importantly, none of it is satisfying. Even after all of this, uh, every possible desire satisfied, you still feel dissatisfied because you are infinity. None of these limited enjoyments are ever going to fulfill you. So that is heaven. Great. I want to go there. So Nachiketa, he asks for going to heaven. How does, will you go there? We, what is that particular 
Vedic ritual by performing which I go to heaven. You are the master of these rituals. You have all this knowledge. Please teach it to me. One little, um, I would say, footnote here. Nachiketa, we have already seen, is a pretty selfless kind of kid. All he wanted for his worldly affairs was his father to be all right. Similarly, it's quite possible that he actually does not want heaven. But people desire this. He knows most of conventional religion is this. And he's seen it in his, in his father and other people around him. So he wants to bring this knowledge from the, the secret knowledge of this highest Vedic rituals from the um, Lord of Death back to the earth so that he can give it to other people. So someone might say that, aren't you reading too much into this? How do you know? Because it, it clearly seems to say that he wants it for himself. He wants that as a boon. Because um, the next thing he asks for, the knowledge of Vedanta, which will lead into enlightenment, that requires dispassion. That requires what is called vairagya, dispassion, renunciation. Renunciation of what? Not only this world, but also heavens. In Vedanta Sara, we read, viraga. A dispassion towards whatever nice things you can obtain here in this world. And also there, it says, amutra means there. There means in heaven. All of that, you should have clear dispassion for that. So, Nachiketa has that. Otherwise, he wouldn't ask. Um, ask, for the, ask the third question. He would be perfectly happy with this. It's the highest thing one can attain. Uh, worldly thing or other worldly thing. So, next, when he asks the question about Vedanta, you will see Yama tests him. So, you will see, Yama says that, what about heaven? I gave you the secret. I unlocked. He will give him the secret. now. I unlocked the gates of heaven for you. Don't you want to go there? Go there and be, have fun in heaven. Don't ask for enlightenment and you know, Vedantic knowledge. And Nachiketa clearly rejects all of this. All of this which he just said now. All the fun facts about heaven. One by one, Nachiketa sharply he shows the faults of all of that. And he rejects it in no uncertain terms. So clearly he does not want it for himself. Yet he does ask for it, so it must be for the welfare of others, people who want it for them. And another point is that Yama actually will say a little later that people will know this ritual by your name, which means it's to be given to the people of the world, the, the mortals who want it. And they will know it as the ritual of Nachiketa. Now, he asks for that knowledge. Sattva magnim swargya madhye shimrityo prabruhitvam shaddhadhanaya mayam swarga loka amritatvam bhajanta etadvitiyena vrinevarena. Very beautiful poetry also. O death, such as you are, you know that fire which leads to heaven. Of that you tell me who am full of faith. The dwellers of heaven get immortality. This I ask for through the second boon. So he asks for the second boon. What is that? Tell me about that Agni, that fire. So fire here has different meanings. Here fire means a particular ritual. And remember, whenever they say fire in the Vedic context, it just doesn't mean any kind of fire. Um, it means the fire which has been lit or kindled ritualistically in the 
Homakunda, in the place where it is the sacrificial altar. There, that fire. And with the accompaniment of chanting with the priest present. So that fire is mentioned, uh, is, is meant when they say fire. Another meaning of fire is the whole ritual. The whole um, science of how do you go to heaven. That's what he's asking for. Uh, he, tell me that whole, the technique, the ritual. How does, by performing which one gets enough karmic currency to go to heaven after death. Show me that. Adhyeshi. Adhyeshi here literally means teach me. Literally it means remember, but it means uh, you remember the knowledge which you have. That means you express it to me. Mrityu, O Lord of Death. Prabruhi, expound unto me. Prabruhi means expound, teach unto me or speak thus unto me. Who, oh, I who am Shraddhadhanayamayam. I have faith in Vedic ritualism. So I am a person who believes in the Vedic religion. I have faith. You tell me. So that faith is absolutely important. Otherwise, what, today in today's world, one might not be motivated to perform these rituals because one doesn't believe. Not that one doesn't have desires, but one just doesn't believe that these things exist, these heavens and all. I remember um, our one of our masters when we were novices teaching us uh, some other Upanishad around this thing about giving up the desire for these heavens if you want to get enlightenment and moksha, freedom. And uh, we all were nodding along. And uh, he said, not so fast, young monks. We, we who cannot give up the desire for a cookie, happily we say, oh, I don't want heaven. It's only because we have no faith at all. <laughs> you know, modern people, we don't believe in such things. So... Uh, if you really believed in it, you would understand the attraction of all this for uh, the ancient people. In uh, every religion, they would want these things. Uh, these are very elevated. But what we modern people have been trying to do is transform our modern societies into something like heaven. Then, Swargaloka Amritatvam Bhajanta. So in uh, heaven, Sadgaloka here means not the worlds of heaven, but the dwellers in the worlds of heaven, they enjoy immortality. And um, this immortality is uh, temporary. Temporary means it's, it's pretty long compared to our lifespan. That's why it seems immortal to us. But ultimately, it's temporary. At the end of the universe, everything must come to an end. Even these heavens and the dwellers in heavens also will come to an end. A new cycle will begin after that. Then, so this is the promise. Uh, this is the request. Uh, Nachiketa's request. Teach me that ritual. Now, um, the Lord of Death, 14th mantra, he says, Prate bravimi tadume nibodha Swargyamagnim nachiketa prajanan Ananta lokaptim atopratishtham O Nachiketa, being well aware of the fire that is conducive to heaven, I shall tell you of it. That very thing you understand with attention from my words. That fire, which is the means for the attainment of heaven and which is the uh, support of the world, know it to be established in the intellect of the enlightened ones. 
I will now expound unto you. Death said, yes, granted, your boon is granted. What you wanted is granted. I'm going to teach you the highest form of Vedic rituals, which will take you to the best heaven. Listen to me carefully, he says. Attend to me. Um, Nibodha, learn from me. This is the support of all the worlds. This is the highest heaven. And Nihitam uh, Guhaya means it is in the it is well established in the intellects of the enlightened ones. Here, enlightened ones means the rishis who know about these Vedic rituals. So it's it's Rhonda when she wrote the first book, uh, the secret. The secret she knows the secret, but but what kind of secret? That's a different secret from the last one. That was the earlier secret which fulfills your worldly desires. Now the the other secret, which the greatest secret. Uh, is which gives you enlightenment and freedom from from the world uh, from samsara but here enlightened means those who are knowers of that earlier secret the karmakanda they know of these things and i'm going to tell you this uh, yama says now the narration changes you see there are different voices um, sometimes nachiketa is speaking sometimes the lord of death is speaking Sometimes Nachiketa's father is speaking. Sometimes Yama's, the Lord of Death's minions are speaking. And sometimes the Upanishad itself is speaking. So now the Upanishad takes up the narration. What happened next? So this is, they um, say, a teachable moment. So uh, Yama is going to teach Nachiketa. And the description of the teaching is given. By the way, if you are thinking, aha, let me write down that knowledge. Yama is going to tell us, you're going to be disappointed. None of that is revealed here. They just say that Yama taught him that, how to go to heaven. Um, so that is a complex ritual. Some of it may be there in the Vedas. Uh, I mean, there are, he, he teaches them, teaches Nachiketa how to uh, construct the altar in which this fire is to be lit. Um, so there are some, there's some guesswork on how the altar is constructed. Anyway, but the teaching is not there. But the important teaching is there later on, that is Vedanta, which is why we are here all together. So that's the third boon. Here it just says that Yama taught him. That's all. Lokadi magnim tamuvacha tasmai yaishtaka yavatirva yathava sachapitat pratyabadadyatoktam athasya mrityu punareva hatushta. Again, very nice poetry. Upanishad itself is telling. How did the teaching proceed? Death told him of that fire, which is the source of the world. World means the heaven, highest heaven. The class and number of bricks by which you construct the altar. As also the manage, uh, manner of arranging for the fire. So all the arrangements, what kind of altar is to be constructed and what kind of preparations are to be made for the ritual. And Nachiketa too repeated verbatim with understanding all these as they were spoken it shows you the teaching methodology the pedagogy so there are no you can't download you have to <laughs> listen carefully and repeat back whatever was taught then death being satisfied with this said again so next death will take up just one little bit about a couple of points one is the arrangement of the altar i can show you the altar actually this was the altar used in major uh, Vedic ritualism. So it looks something like this, like a bird. 
constructed of bricks. This is from one side, this is from the other side. I don't know if you can see it. Can you see it looks like a bird made of bricks? It's pretty complex. So Nachiketa must be super attentive to have learned all of that and you repeat it back to the teacher. Now, this kind of teaching actually goes on even now, not about altars, but about Vedanta. In traditional Vedanta teaching, even now, uh, they expect you to memorize the texts. So, um, some of it is relaxed, that some of the mantras are, are to be memorized. So, when we learned, I remember when we learned, uh, they, they went easy on us. You don't have to memorize the entire Upanishad, though some of the brothers did that, some of the monks did that, but... You memorize just the key verses, key mantras from the Upanishad. Um, the, often the teaching, even now, now of course everybody has a book, but uh, the teacher comes, the master teaches, the students gather around, sit in meditation mats and listen to the teacher. And you are expected to at least be able to say what was taught. What did the teacher say? So you have to be attentive to that. May not be literally. Uh, strict masters would uh, require you to literally memorize the entire text and be able to re repeat back. Sometimes whatever is done in this class is to be repeated in the next class, only then um, the class will start. So that kind of uh, intensity is there. Um, I know one or two masters who still do that. I can see why. It makes at least this much is there that it's entered into your <laughs> head. Um, I read this and it's a true story because Swami Chinmayananji who is the founder of the Chinmay mission he has himself corroborated it so when he went to the Himalayas to study Vedanta um, actually he did not originally go to study Vedanta he was an investigative journalist he thought that these monks in the Himalayas are all frauds and he wanted to do a, a, a piece on them exposing them all but uh, he went there and he became a monk himself so, uh, at first he was inspired and uh, taught by Swami Shivananda Saraswati from the Divine Life Society. So, he says that when he became more and more aware of the, um, uh, the depth and the profundity of, of Vedanta and the, the, the very existence of this huge body of classical knowledge that you, you need. So, he said, I wanted to go to the source, the best teachers that there are. Uh, traditional teachers. So Swami Shivananda arranged for him to study under Tapovan Maharaj, who was a very traditional, very well-known teacher of Vedanta at that time, as a monk, very austere, harsh, strict. So all this I've heard, I've read about it later, so it's true, uh, but I've heard also directly from Tapovan Swamiji's uh, attendant, who was alive when I met him. He told me these stories. So finally, uh, so the young Chinmayanandaji, he comes to uh, Uttarkashi first and then Gangotri, about 10,000 feet high in the Himalayas and sits with this small group of students under this one of the greatest living teachers at that time. So this was the traditional teaching uh, environment for Vedanta. First of all, compulsorily you have to be a monk. I mean, you need not be an ordained monk, but you have to be a brahmachari. That means who is going to be a monk. You have renounced the world. Then only you are allowed to learn Vedanta. Then... Um, you find your own accommodations. He's not going to accommodate you in the school. There's no dorms or anything like that. You find your own hut or cave to stay. 
uh, you will have to beg for food or sometimes they all beg together and eat the food later on and there'll be just two classes it's it's terribly cold and and pretty austere they're harsh living and there'll be two classes all you get is two classes one in the morning and one in the afternoon um, as long as the sun is warm you sit and you listen to tapovan swami and that's it um, i heard one incident where you're not allowed to have interactions and discussions you know with the professor a young monk once uh, asked a question after the class and the master tapovan swami just said you know in hindi jaiye brahmachari ji manan ki ji and said you have done the shravan oh novice go back to your you know your hut or cave and uh, reflect upon this that's all no answers i am not going to give you answers <laughs> so uh, nowadays they would get a very low rating on rate my professor nowadays there is a website you can rate your professors and he had a strict rule every class you would have to repeat back whatever was taught in the uh, class earlier otherwise otherwise that's it you're done you leave immediately uh, you can't uh, come back again not in this lifetime so you're you're, you're done so swami chinmayananda ji once he missed i mean he was unable to recite to some verse and the tapovan swami would roar he knew that he was a journalist before becoming a monk and his typical scolding would be this is vedanta this is not your journalism so he was about to throw him out when the other monks who were there in the class they begged on his behalf and uh, and so he relented so it was that strict and uh, chinmanji is himself written about these things one more incident which is vedanta of course we're jumping far ahead of our what what we're discussing here but again it because the discussion is about tapovanji and chinmanji so chinmanji's one essay has written about tapovanji how one day um he um so he could never really understand that since we are that absolute reality what more is necessary i am brahman existence consciousness bliss and the rest of the world whatever all this is an appearance in brahman it's inconsequential why does this add on about ishwara maya jiva jagat why are all these things start in vedanta and what's the point i understand in conventional religion fine you may have god worship devotion fine all that but why here why only why not only i i am brahman realize it finished that's it so one day uh, he writes in the afternoon in the afternoon class suddenly the master tapovan swami said to him i need a drink of water get me some water so chinmayan ji saw there was strange normally he never asks for water in the middle of a class so he went with his uh water pot um and uh, i think a brass glass a pot a tumbler he went to the river which is it to go some way down descend into the, it's a fast flowing the ganga there in gangotri and he filled it up and he brought it back um and he offered the glass full of ganga water to the master and immediately received a harsh scolding said what is this the um glass of water what did i ask for he said you asked for water and what did you bring a glass of water why the glass i asked you for water and chinmanji says i was stunned 
just because of of his uh, you know highly advanced uh, of his spiritual nature he immediately got what was being said the nature of nirguna brahman and saguna brahman it became clear to him what actually nirguna brahman is and how um, it manifests as saguna brahman what is the vyavahar or utility of name and form and function even for vedanta so any time you want to deal with something you know even if it's to learn vedanta and become enlightened you need name form and function you need the world of maya you, and therefore you need that absolute reality to be the god of maya also of of this god of religion anyway all these instructions i'm i'm all these corollaries i am drawing but his original description in his essay is also very nice rick says regarding fulfillment of desires is there sanskrit phrase that translates as first deserve then desire actually this one thing i did not mention when nachiketa says this i who am am full of faith i ask for this teaching there is something this is all from the purva mimamsa philosophy it says artitvam artitvam means um i am fit to have this purpose purpose means this is what i want in life but i'm fit for it so i'm qualified for it i have faith in the vedic system i am ready i have i have got this i'm well trained i have this kind of knowledge and i desire heaven this kind of all qualifications are there you can transmit that knowledge to me otherwise it won't work just because the lord of death said i'll give you three boons and you can ask for one a boon you can say this knowledge give it give that knowledge to me he may give it to you but it will be of no use to you unless you are uh, you deserve it so first deserve and then desire correct correct we may get many things we 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 thought we want it they may come to us you notice you do, you are not able to enjoy it properly to even enjoy the things which you desire you need some certain qualifications certain capacity certain time certain state of mind uh, certain frame of mind to enjoy things even the tastiest food the most wonderful music the highest literature you need that qualification that that cultivation of the mind that much leisure that frame and that mood of mind in order to even savor these things so i am going to put it in another way a fool might collect an entire library but he will read only the ones he deserves to read and only those books he deserves to read and i look around all the books around me and i see the veritable truth of swami vivekananda's words a fool may collect an entire library but will read only the books he deserves to read <laughs> correct prabir basu can there be only joy without sorrow uh, only temporarily so even in our own lives there are periods of um you know great uh, happiness and fulfillment only temporarily for us it lasts for a short while and again it's a dissatisfactory state for those in heaven it can last for a long time and even there there will be some little problems like jealousy and so on and so forth and demons um shanli says does god forgive our bad past karma by present good deeds and karma no what may happen is present good deeds and karma if they are powerful if you keep on doing good deeds and good karma they will start giving results so the bad karma is suppressed or pushed to the back also by the grace of god the the results of bad karma are minimized holy mother mashallah said this 
where one might have been pierced by a spear or one might have lost a leg or something, a terrible accident, you'll get a pinprick. That's a vast difference. You'll still suffer, but much, much less than what you will suffer. So what makes the difference? Um, devotion to God and the grace of God. It can minimize our suffering. It can save us from a lot of pain and misery. But then you have to have devotion to God and, and um, worship God. Jayashree says, are homams like the Rudram Chandi Homa part of Karmakanda? Yes, they're part of Karmakanda. But remember, the way we do that uh, in Vedanta is we convert it into Karma, karma Yoga. So the same rituals without the worldly goals or other worldly goals, you repeat the um, chanting, you may perform particular rituals also, including the fire sacrifices, but without desiring worldly things or other worldly things. If you do it only as a worship of God, so then you will get purification of mind, the qualifications for Vedanta and ultimately enlightenment. All those things will come. See, we all do pujas. So one may do Durga puja, the big pujas for worldly benefits. Or one may simply do it, let all beings be happy, uh, grant me um, devotion, grant me knowledge, grant me dispassion for the world, O oh Mother. That means make me fit for spirituality. Then it becomes, that same ritual becomes karma yoga. It's not just karma, it becomes karma yoga. It becomes part of your spiritual practice. Shravani says, are the gods, Indra, etc. more like positions? Absolutely, they're like positions. So, so in the position, not that Indra continues to live forever, the position continues forever, but the people who occupy that, like the President of the United States, it's a position and of enormous power. And the, the sentient beings who come and occupy that, they keep changing. But these positions are not for four years or five years. They are for millions of years. So, um, and in the case of the highest gods, they are for the entire duration of the, of the universe. One cycle of creation, existence and destruction. But they are positions. And so in one universe, the one who is Indra, the king of the gods, the one who is a god of fire or whatever, uh, in the next universe, there might be a different Indra, different, there will be a different Indra and so on. Gloria says, the Swarga Loka sounds a lot like near-death ex um, experiencer, near-death experiencer's experience. Yes, yes. In, which leads us to, uh, to believe that there is definitely something in all of this. Because in many religions, these things are described. And in, I would say, incredibly similar ways. And also people who maybe today don't believe in any particular religion, but have similar experiences at the verge of death or, you know, like a near-death experience. So there is something to it. So Vedanta, no, we are not interested in these things. The whole point is you turn away from these things. The more you're interested in object and objective existence, whether this worldly or next worldly, you're caught in samsara. It is just an extension of samsara, a better part of samsara, more rarefied part of samsara, but even there, there are problems and there's an end to it. We here, we are in Manhattan, you see the skyline from Central Park, there's something called the billionaire's row. So there is very tall, there's a uh, the skinniest building in the world, tallest skinniest building in the world, more than 100 floors and all. So only billionaires live there. And somebody was telling me that, um, what do they have? In the like 
80th floor, 100th floor, it is the building is swaying a little bit. Uh, so it's a little scary. And some other little, little problems are there. And the, the garbage chute makes a sound or something like that. You know? So somebody said, these are the woes, the sufferings of billionaires. So there's, there's still some problem going on, even at that high, high level, verified level. Uh, Sudhir says, so isn't that heaven is same as rich persons like earth? Correct. At least the lower heavens. And some of them, like the Brahma Loka, is not just being a rich person, but also being a spiritual rich person. So that's a nice thing. Vedanta is higher than that. Not, you don't have to be a spiritual rich person and go and live in the highest heaven for millions of years. You get the highest, which is complete fulfillment, complete uh, cessation of suffering. You, you get infinity itself here and now by Brahma Jnana, by becoming enlightened. Far higher than all of this. The problem of being rich and spiritual is, I'll tell you. Uh, I met this person who is one of India's leading motivational speakers. Young man. Um, very uh, good personality. I mean, you just like him on, you know, when you meet him. Uh, and he inspires lots of young college students, boys and girls. But uh, He is a very very dynamic speaker. He's also a multimillionaire, owns a big company. Um, the way I met him was he, want, he wanted to speak to me. So I just heard about him. He flew me out from, from Calcutta to Delhi and brought me to his office. He spent six hours. Um, I said, what about your job? I said, oh, that's in Hindi. He said, oh, that's in Hindi. I said, what about your in his corporate headquarters, six hours, he was not attending to any business. I said, oh, Swami, that's just like that. It's just to pass time. You have to do something and do that. But my real interest is in spiritual life. And I could see that he's genuinely vastly well-read in, um, in Vedanta, Buddhism, um, and a regular meditator, seriously interested. And some genuine spiritual insight is there. I could see that. Uh, but the interesting thing is what happened was he has a group of followers. One of them said to me afterwards, you know, he's, they all starry-eyed about him. One of them said to me that our goal is to be like him. And I know I want to become a millionaire and become enlightened. You don't have to become a millionaire to become enlightened. It is just so attractive that I get both. I get to be a millionaire and a billionaire and I also become an uh, enlightened spiritual master. No, it sort of confuses the issue. I'm sure he is fine, but uh, those who... It's so shiny and nice that people want all of that together. Whereas Vedanta says, not at all necessary. And not, in fact, it can be an enormous distraction to be uh, involved in the world in that way and also try to pursue, pursue spirituality. Shweta Singh says, Sinkiti says, if the pleasures of heaven are not ultimately fulfilling, then why would somebody like to spend a long time there? Because of desire. Uh, on earth, people, after having everything they want, they start feeling depressed. Yes. The speciality of this world, they call it Matya Loka. The speciality of this world is, it's that unique balance of suffering and pleasure, pain and pleasure, which evokes in us this question about the point of it all. The reason why this question does not come to very rich people, you know, um, Hollywood, 
nearby there are these these areas all the big stars don't live in hollywood now they all live in uh, this um, beverly hills one or two places i forgot the names they're very well known bel air is one place i think so they all live there now so are you being very spiritual by living there you have seen all the desires being fulfilled no 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 not at all the uh, you are so rich and so famous and so full of life is full of parties there is no time for serious spiritual pursuit you may become curious once in a while but things are so good you quickly forget that again that discipline and that uh, that uh, you know the renunciation necessary to pursue that seriously not that some are not deeply spiritual some are but again it's difficult so it's very difficult for very rich people and it's very difficult for people who are suffering a lot so in heaven and in hell it's difficult to be spiritual if things are going perfectly well for you it's difficult to have that motivation to search for the higher truth if things are going horribly for you you don't have the time energy you know the calmness of mind um, to sit down and investigate this so the, this world where we are is a good balance for it's a good place for vedanta shri says can one decide to pursue enlightenment while residing in the loka yes or do i have to descend at least one more time to earth can we assume that they would this would be their last but yes to uh, all of them they are those this is called krama mukti sequential liberation you have practiced spirituality in this world and you have not attained enlightenment because of great good karma you are a good person so you go to heaven after death now there you continue your spiritual quest this is this ideas are there and then you will there itself you will attain enlightenment you don't have to come back to this world but if a person has desires then after enjoying heaven one comes back to this world and again practices spiritual practices and krishna says that in the 6th chapter of the gita that such people will come back again but it will be their last birth and they will get enlightenment in that birth itself so all of this is possible all these alternatives so there is a link shared by pranav uh, and a documentary to swami chinmayanji yes yes i've seen that uh, documentary is very nice Vishwanath says Tapovanji also did not allow in note taking in the class. I I think that must be true. Yeah. Alpana says after enlightenment, can one want to keep coming to enjoy these manifestations? Now that kind of wanting will not be there, but one may keep coming if Mrs. Sri Ramakrishna says by the will of God. That that coming will not will not be there for enjoyment of manifestation. The coming will be there uh, for helping others. So Sri Ram Krishna says there are some nitya siddhas, ever perfected ones. They are not coming back here to practice spirituality and get enlightenment. They are already enlightened. They are already free, and yet for some reason they have maintained their individualities. They are not one with Brahman in the sense that there is no more individual left. They can come back as enlightened beings to help others. Uh, often when avatars come, Sri Ram Krishna says when avatars come, a group of companions come with that avatar. Come means they are also born. and they come close to the avatar and they become the disciples like the apostles of christ or the direct disciples of sri ramakrishna who helped the avatar some of those not all sri ramakrishna identified six i think who were already they said nitya siddha they are already liberated even before they came so they have come because of the will of god uh, to help god i mean help the avatar in the mission 
Shvetas in Kirti, do they have Vedanta in heaven? Yes. Then it can be worthwhile staying there. Yes, but not all heavens. Some heavens are just made for enjoyment. But there are, the Brahma Loka, for example, is full of enlightened beings or, or spiritual beings. So I'm sure they have Vedanta classes there. You can, I don't know if you can transfer credits from this class to there. <laughs> Nitin says, since heavens and hells are mostly indicative different states of mind, does it indicate, mean that jealousy is a tougher problem to get rid of than karma, krodha, lobha, moha? I have not really thought of it about it that way. Jealousy is a deep problem. Even uh, like spiritual seekers can become jealous. So it is a deep problem. But I don't know if that's why the gods are jealous of each other. And the good way to understand that is actually to look at very famous, very rich people, celebrities, the way they behave in this world um, is a good indicator of what the, these uh, celestial beings would do. Don't worry too much about them. They are outside our, our purview. We are, we are going ahead. We are going to give, say goodbye to them very soon. Najiketa will has very harsh words about them. It's going to come. He will say very clearly, little boy to Yama, I don't want any part of this. And he says it's, he will say it's like a, it's a, like a horror show, all of it, from heaven to earth down to hell. The whole thing uh, is something that you must transcend as soon as possible. Within Pavuval, does everyone in Satya Loka necessarily get Krama Mukti at the end of the cycle? No. It is very clear, those who still have desires at the end of the cycle, even in the highest heaven, then they will wait for an interminable time uh, until the next creation. I mean, next time when time starts, space starts, universe starts, and then they'll be reborn again to work out their uh, spiritual destiny. Some of them will not be reborn, those who become enlightened there in, the, in heaven itself. Rodrigo says, so many questions about heaven. Just see how attractive it is. It's full of questions about heaven. Rodrigo, I'll just take this and stop. Aren't those karma to become Manasa Puja and then those rituals were all performed in the mind? Yes. The idea is in the, the Vedas, you have actual physical rituals which are to be performed, like this, what, what uh, Yamaraja taught Nachiketa. But at a certain stage, you would evolve beyond the necessity to perform rituals physically and you could visualize them in your mind. Manasa puja. We even do that now with our modern pujas. We can physically do the puja outside with flowers and, and uh, incense and uh, the, the utensils for the puja, instruments. Or you can visualize all of it and do it. In fact, not or. Both are to be done. Those who do physically are also instructed to do it mentally. Those who do it mentally, you can do it only mentally without doing physically also. Krishna, Shiva, Brahma, Shweta asks, uh, are they also positions? Krishna is an avatar, not a position. So that is unique. Um, Shiva is God with a capital G, not a position. That is unique, uh, eternal. They are not that different sentient beings can become Shiva, not at all. But Brahma is a, a position. In each cycle of creation, a new Brahma. Brahma means the creator of the universe. Um, so that's not God with the capital G. That is, um, it comes, is manifested uh, in each cycle. Om.
शाति हरि ओम तत्सत श्री राम कृष्णार्पणमस्तु